Hey, we're all watching the Tour de France right now, and even though most of us can't race our own bicycles, we're still focused on our overall health and well-being, and that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria becomes less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, the levels of the antioxidant called CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by as much as 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, and that can impact training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and even brain power. And that is why this new supplement called MitoQ is becoming so popular with athletes like you and me. It helps our bodies better absorb intense training periods and then recover faster. Some athletes have even said they've seen an improvement in VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate threshold. When you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why MitoQ could result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula and the independent clinical trials that have been done on it, and to read some interesting athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com. That's www.mitoq.com. Thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this week's episode of the show. Let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Vell News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a crisp just a gorgeous fall Tuesday here outside of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we got leaves on the ground. A bit of a bite in the air in the early morning. Just very pleasant uh, fall conditions. It's funny, with the Tour de France going on, it totally screwed up my internal calendar. And so mentally, I kind of in the back of my mind thought it was still June. You know, we had a snowstorm in there that was a bit of a rude awakening. But um, now that I've emerged from my Tour de France cave and actually gone outside, uh, it is painfully obvious that it is, it's fall. It's like cyclocross season. I've got Halloween just around the corner. Um, it's the time of year when I miss living on the East Coast. Really enjoyed the falls, living in New York City, and you know, going on rides and seeing the leaves change and stuff like that. So, um, been getting out on the bike um, as part of my Tour de France recovery. That's right. You know, a lot of people think that it's just the pro riders who need to recover from the Tour de France, but the journalists actually we have to recover uh, as well. Usually, when you attend the tour, your recovery involves. Um, going on a diet and more like a cleanse to get all of the red wine and fromage out of your system because um, you've been packing your guts with heavy cheeses, bread, and wine for 30 days straight. Uh, Also a lot of sleep in there to catch up because you're not sleeping a whole lot and just kind of like reintegrating into society after being something of like a feral person. So laundry, washing, saying hello to, you know, your, your family and stuff. This year... The recovery has been a bit different. Um, I've been at home for the tour, but still it was like, you know, I think all said and told 35 days straight of work here in the spare bedroom, just staring at screens. So my recovery has involved a bit of what you would call a digital detox of not uh, really limiting my like screen time, not looking at the phone, not staring at the computer screen this past week, I I did what I could to limit that, um, which meant actually I I did not watch the UCI Road World Championship road races. I watched the TTs, but not the road races. I was like, I'm gonna be with my family. I have the weekend off. I'm I'm actually not gonna watch bike racing. Um, road Road Worlds was great. Um, Shepo to the winners there. Anna Vanderbregen winning two World Championships. I think that's the first time in like 25 years. Someone has done that. Um, Julian Alaphilippe's stunning win. Filippo Ghana, great TT win. You know, I'm sure many of you are familiar with now that uh, Chloe Digert crashed in the women's TT. Horrific crash, horrific images of her injury. And the good news is there is that it does sound like she's going to make um, a full recovery. So there were, there were some scary few hours there, scary day where you saw some of those images of this big wound on her left leg. And it was like, how do you recover from that? But um, good news sounds like Chloe is going to make a big recovery. Um, We are right in the middle of a pro racing avalanche. We have the Giro about to start. Uh, By the time you listen to this, Flesh Wallone will probably have concluded. Um, What else is going on? Bink Bank Tour. Um, plenty to talk about. Worlds just happened. You know, we're right in the middle 
of this season. But this week on the Villain News Podcast, um, I'm taking a break from pro racing talk because we have so much pro racing to talk to over the next few weeks, and we're going to get really deep into the Giro. We're going to have James Start at the Giro. Jim Cotton will be at the Giro. Andy Hood will be at the Welta. James will be at the Classics. We're just going to be getting an avalanche of pro racing content over the next several months. And this week, I wanted to give you guys something outside of the world of pro racing, and um, it is a follow-up roundtable discussion with the five board members of the major Taylor Iron Riders. We spoke to them in June um, and asked them questions. I asked them questions about, you know, what is Major Taylor is a New York City based club, your Major Taylor Iron Riders, New York City based club. And it, it most of the members are black, Latino, Asian, um, and it has tremendous success in bringing um, black, Latino, people from sort of non traditional cycling backgrounds into the sport. And Back in June, we talked about um, what it's like to be a black cyclist and some of the racism that they face, have faced, um, and the bias, you know, what it's like to be the only person of color in a large group of riders. Um, and this week, we are talking about some different topics. First, they had quite a bit of response from the initial podcast, and so we get into that. But, um, you know, Major Taylor has this great game plan for bringing new cyclists into the club and helping them overcome the inherent hurdles um, that cycling throws out there to people who are like, who are going from being a newbie to being, you know, competitive or more of uh, enthusiast, you know, people who like to do group rides, like to suffer, like look to like to push yourself. And what, what blew me away about the major Taylor and riders in their first discussion was, how successful they were and how this game plan they have for like getting people to join the club and to further their passion for cycling. And right now the sport of cycling in the United States is booming. Well, maybe not the sport is, but like bike sales are way up. There are all these reports on TV about bike shops selling out of bikes, Walmart selling out of bikes, bikes are flying off the shelves. New people are getting involved in the sport. People are seeing cycling as a means of transportation, a means of recreation and a means of fun because of COVID-19, because you can't do the traditional stuff you want to do, and public transportation isn't safe, and all of these other elements are coming together to mean that we have a lot more people potentially joining our community. And I I just felt like Major Taylor Iron Riders have this great game plan for how to bring these people deeper into our community. Are all of them going to become group ride aficionados and cat threes who read velo news and go out there and hammer no but it's good to know that there are organizations out there that put a lot of thought and energy into creating a process for bringing people up to that level i think that all of us can look at our own experiences as cyclists and see you know the hurdles that we overcame and and moments in our cycling life were especially in the early years where it was like ah i could have i could have kept going with it at that point or i could have eh, gone on and done something else maybe it was after the first crash or the first time you got dropped or some of those first rides where it was like eh, i kind of like this but boy this actually kind of sucked and major taylor and riders i just was blown away by um the model and the process they have for helping people overcome that so we're going to get to it um the five board members again are Patrick Morosier, Natasha Merle, Chris Hasfall, Daryl Tucker, and club president Derricka Hendon Barnes. Let's get to Major Taylor Iron Riders, and we will get back to pro racing next week. Oh, also, right now they have a cool new kit that they are selling, um, a Black Lives Matter kit collection. And proceeds from the sale of this kit will uh, be donated to the NAACP. I am going to link to images of this kit in the the post on our website for this podcast. So if you're listening to this, you can find the post on the website. And in the body of it, there will be photos of the kit and a link to where you can check it out. Okay, let's get on to Major Taylor, Iron Riders Club. (laughs) 
Hey, many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. Well, today's sponsor, MitoQ, is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials and some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com. That's www.mitoq.com. Let's get back to the show. I am so happy to welcome back Patrick Morosier, Natasha Merle, Chris Hasfall, Darrell Tucker, and club president, Derricka Hendon Barnes. We're going to have a follow-up conversation from our our chat a couple months ago. And I th- I felt like a good place to start um would be just drilling into what the response has been in your respective communities of riders and friends um who listened to the podcast and heard what you had to say about um um cycling. So but first of all just welcome. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. I'm really glad we were able to link up again. Thanks for having us. For sure. It's been um, a lot of things have happened since then. A lot of um, different um, organizations of contact has been a great response since we had the podcast last. It was, uh, it's been amazing. I'll have to say it's been an interesting time to have that podcast and see the response to come back on us as a club. That's great. I mean, what have your experiences been like individually as, as riders? It sounds like, you know, um, you've had people in your family, people in your writing communities, you know, listen to the podcast and, and have some opinions and approach you. Um, Darrell, I'll start off with you. You know, we talked offline just now and you said that you felt like there had been a pretty good response to what you all had to say. Yeah, I, I'd say, and this is Darrell, um, I'd say, sorry, this is Darrell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give my real name podcast. All right. So, no, I'd say, um, you know, the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, it really kind of, for one, showed the reach of, of your podcast because people are, you know, were approaching us immediately thereafter and um, from all different facets and ranges of people that we come across. Um, some were cyclists, some weren't, surprisingly. Um, but again, super positive about it. Um, I felt like personally we had voiced some concerns that people may have had but not had the outlet to speak about publicly. Um, or the audience. Um, so that was a good feeling. Um, and we had some outreach from different organizations looking to kind of make a positive change or make a shift. Um, but again, I'll touch on lightly here. Um, the results of that remain to be seen. Yeah, I got some outreach too. And the one thing that I kept stressing again and again about the Major Taylor Iron Riders model for success was how the model you guys have for bringing new riders into your club is such a good model for new riders of any color, creed, ethnicity, socioeconomic level, etc. Like the the model of approaching a rider on the road, welcoming to them to the ride, greeting them at the ride, making sure that they feel like people are talking to them, they're identified, letting them know what the ride is going to look like, assigning a person to them in case they get dropped, they can find their way home. And then the Derricka follow-up of the email or the phone call afterwards, seeing how it was. I mean, it just adds such a whole new level to the like, hey, come on our bike ride. Yeah, whatever level of invitation that I think most of us have seen throughout our lives as cyclists. I think I want to clarify this, that not if they get dropped, but when they get dropped, <laughs> they won't, they'll have somebody to, to escort them to the finish line. Um, yeah, it, it, it happens. And, you know, again, since the podcast, I guess our visibility has gone up considerably. We've had a lot of new interest with the club and want to know, you know, how can we ride with you and, and how do I join the team? I heard the podcast. I want to be with it. And to Daryl's point, I didn't realize that, you know, our stories and our experiences spoke to a broader audience of the exact same experience people have had, whether it be with local clubs or other clubs in different states. Um, one of my own club members actually contacted me and says, you know, Derek, you were telling my exact story only 30 years ago. You know, so he's like, you know, you were speaking to me. You were speaking about my, my, my individual story. And I, I thank you so much for getting that out there because it's how he found Major Taylor. And so it was, it was a win, which is like, wow, we're, we're doing something right. And, and what we're saying means something. 
and hopefully that'll translate into making a difference on the broader, you know, cycling community that we have in New York City. Patrick, now it sounds like <laughs> one of the ways you've adjusted your um, riding has just been to be like, you know, you're a guy who waves at a lot of people and now you're like making it a point to just be extremely gregarious on the bike and uh, go up and sit, give a shout out to anyone, everyone you see. Yes, I, tr- I mean, I'll, I want to, you know, I feel being happy and representing a happy, go-lucky uh, person on the bike is, is a good thing. You know, I want people to approach us and to, to extend that extra arm and, and make it seem as we are, we are a friendly bunch because we are a friendly bunch. You know, we're not just guys that go out and hammer all the time. You know, we hammer if you come by us unpolitely, then then we'll take it to another level. You know, we'll we'll challenge any rider that wants to challenge the club or challenge an individual. But one thing we like to do is make sure, you know, hello, how you doing? Are you okay? It's part of the vocabulary with our club. You know, we we want to be portrayed as an approachable club, an inviting club. And there are many times people will just sit there waiting at a, a location in the corner for their um, their friends. And we could just be sitting there and no one will say hello. No one will speak or look our way. So, you know, I'm, I'm like, that's that's kind of rude. So when we see other people on the, on, the, on, the, on the corners or wherever, we try to make sure we say hello and approach people in a very friendly way. But at the last um, podcast, a lot of people came to me and said, Patrick, you're very aggressive. You you seem like the guy that wants to hurt everyone. It's not really true. I'm not that type of person. I just, I, I'm just a very competitive person and I like to hang out with competitive people. Cycling is, is a very fun sport, but we're not the type of club that just likes to ride bikes 10 miles an hour and, you know, laugh and joke. You know, it's, it's a very competitive sport. So I add hello to my vocabulary, but if someone passes me very rudely, be sure that we're going to stay on your wheel and attack, <laughs> but in a very nice way. You know, I think some of the conversations that I've been having in my own cycling community here um, in Colorado has been about looking inward, like identifying the implicit bias and implicit racism that is present in the cycling space, looking inward, trying to learn from the moment and trying to identify actions that, um, that we, that, that you may do that like have a negative impact on, you know, people of color, minorities, women who are trying to get into the sport. Um, and I'm curious if you've had any conversations like that with other clubs or individuals in the cycling scene there in New York City. And you don't have to have given any names or anything, but I'm curious if you've gotten any outreach from from people who have said, hey, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, after hearing you talk or having after, you know, having conversations with people right now about the implicit racism and implicit uh, bias in our society, I kind of feel like I've been part of the problem. I'm curious if there've been if you've gotten any feedback like that. I don't know if I've gotten any feedback about people saying that I'm a part of the problem, but I've definitely gotten feedback that people weren't aware. You know, they were seeing it from a different perspective of, I didn't realize that, I think Fred, you shared this with us, like one of your friends called you up and says, I had no idea I was that guy. I didn't realize that we weren't being inclusive. I just never looked at it from that perspective. Yep. So the awareness uh, emails and text messages that I did get were, I had no, I didn't, I, I didn't realize it. And then when he, we, you know, we had the conversation, just you know, just a couple of exchanges or a small short talk. It's like I never realized it was that this is what it looked like from my perspective because I'm already on the other side. I'm one of the white writers. You know, it just didn't look like that. I thought I was being nice by being inclusive, but I never looked at it that you know why aren't other more you know people of color coming to the ride? I don't know why they want to ride with us. We're a bunch of good people. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're not a good person or you're not a good riding group, but how are you being inclusive outside of your circle? Like, what are you doing to encourage them to come back? How are you being supportive of them? And yeah, it's how are you being inclusive and supportive? If it's not there, you can be a great person, a great group, but if there's no connection to reach out to that person and doesn't look like the other, then it's kind of a good point. No, I mean, like I said, I've had conversations like that in, in my own community of people saying, oh, wow, you know, like it isn't just about 
sending out the invitation or, you know, talking to Tanya Miller, who had been in the club for a long time about her experiences showing up to the Central Park races a while ago and just being like, you know, yeah, you know, I was invited and I was talking to people. But like, you know, I don't I don't think they realized that I felt like I was in a different world than them because I was the only uh, black girl there. And because like I just, you know, like I didn't feel like I was getting the social outreach that other people were getting there, you know, even if it was just surf, you know, surface level, it, it feels a lot deeper than that when you're in that situation. This is Daryl. And I think just to add to that, I think, um, you know, it's kind of no longer acceptable to make that statement that I don't see color. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so, and that's kind of how people operated for a long time. Like, Hey, we're all cyclists. I don't see color. You're a rider, they're a rider. But when it comes down to the social aspect of riding, people click together in, in, you know, commonalities, right? So socioeconomic backgrounds, race, um, geography, like where they live, those things matter, right? And so then you get the single black person that shows up at the race and they're like, oh, he's a cyclist, I'm a cyclist. But you don't acknowledge that he's different or she's different or they may feel different or when you guys all huddle up, <laughs> they're standing on the outside of that huddle. Yeah. Like, do you not see that? Like, it's happening. Um, but I, I guess everyone defaults to the, I'm a cyclist, they're a cyclist. Like, we're not saying you can't stand in the circle. Yeah. But we don't, we, we, <laughs> but you might feel uncomfortable, but we're not saying you can't be in there. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on Natasha now because Natasha, you've been quiet here, but this is a good segue into a point that you had just brought up that I think is really important and that this is going on, not just in cycling, but everywhere, which is white people approaching black people and saying, well, what, tell me what to do. What should I do? What have I been doing wrong? And I, I on one hand, I understand that line of question because I, I, I'm sure I've been that person, but I can under, also understand how like, that puts you in a strange position as like, I don't know, the arbiter of the social dynamic and the social rules. Um, anyway, what's your take on it? Yeah, so this is Natasha. Um, yeah, that's. I think that's exactly it um, by, you know, staying or approaching the situation simply as, you know, oh, we hear you now and we recognize there's a problem and we recognize that you have not been included. Tell us how to fix it if you approach it that way that is putting the onus on um, black people or other people of color or women or whatever it may be to fix the issue. Um, I think I'm not saying that it cannot be collaborative, that it cannot be a discussion, um, but I, I, I think some of it has to be that person, that group taking responsibility, be being self-reflective about how to address the issue. So for example, here, Derek, you know, obviously Derica and uh, we have you kind of explained what we do in our club um, so, you know, be reflective. Is your club that way? Do you reach out to riders? I was about to say voters because that's what I work on 24 seven. Do you reach out to cyclists? Um, do you talk to other cyclists? Do you talk to cyclists of color? Um, and, you know, you, you should be self-reflective about that because some of it is very, um, I think we would say easy. Like the steps that we feel that we take in our club, we don't feel like we're going above and beyond. We feel like it's very easy and how you should respect or relate to people, respect people, encourage people and bring people in. And that's how you are inclusive. So it's very um, easy to us, but if it, for some reason it doesn't come natural to you, you need to be reflective about why that is and reflective about if you want it to change. And if so, how you can make that step to change it. That's really interesting. I, I like that. I like, I like that perspective. <laughs> no, it's true because I do, I do think that it, is it's a good additive perspective like i said to the like oh well you know i i realize what i'm doing now so tell me what to do better type thing and it's like well you know you have to look in you know look inward before you go ask someone for advice oh i was i was just gonna like tag along to what natasha said um in that when she said self-reflective it, it reminded me that we're talking about clubs and we're talking about teams and we're talking about organizations but those groups are made up of individuals and the individuals have to be responsible for themselves and their actions. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, you can lead a club and you can be the president of the club or you could be the captain of a team and you can 
hold people accountable and you can, you know, enforce certain rules and standards and try to make people feel comfortable. But the individuals in that group have to then take it upon themselves to act on that. Right. There, I mean, you're around people and I, and I would, I would default back to what's, what's been described as our operate operating procedures. You can go up to any individual in our club and they'll, be the same. They'll be friendly. They'll be welcoming. Right? It's not just when you're with us as a collective. Those people are like that. They're generally receptive to new riders. They're generally helpful on the road. They're social. They speak to people. So it's just as much about the individual as it is about the clubs and the groups. It doesn't hurt that everybody wants to, to ride their bike and show up and have a good time. You know, when you when you find yourself around like-minded people who enjoy the same sport and they love it so much, you're always going to get people to show up with a good mood and a good attitude. You know, if that if that cultivates your your community and your environment and your club culture, then you're going to win. One of the other big pieces of um, feedback that I got from some listeners after listening to the podcast was something that yeah, it, it you know was also became obvious to me after talking to you, which was that. Um, the topic of road safety and how, you know, we're, you know, all of us get buzzed by cars at some point and all of us get, you know, riders get buzzed by cars, riders get pulled over by the cops, riders, you know, have these interactions with drivers on a regular basis. And that interaction is totally different for, um, a black person than it is for a white person. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the feedback that I got was like, Oh wow. Yeah. I do kind of take for granted that, you know, if a car buzzes me, I might ride up next to that car to the stoplight and like give him an earful. Or, you know, if a cop pulls over the group ride for, you know, riding through town, not to abreast, um, yeah, I might give that cop cop a little bit of lip, you know, and sort of, you know, reading a lot about black lives matter and police brutality and then sort of seeing that through the lens of cycling and being like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that is, that's a totally different experience. Patrick speaking, um, regarding the safety issue and, um, issues that can happen on a road with cyclists. I think our club is well, well aware of these, 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 um, issues like with cars buzzing us or a car honking at us and, you know, yelling out curse words at us. Derica and the leaders of the club make it very, make it um, a, a very, very important to everyone, to every member in the club that we have to stay vigilant and respective to whatever town we ride through. It's very important that no matter what happens on the road, we always keep our cool. Now there are times when maybe one cyclist may lose it to a, uh, to a car, a person driving by them, but there's always somebody there to like, oh, calm down, hold on, you know, because it's it's not it's not about that car buzzing us or that car getting too close, you know. It's about the group as a collective because that car may have buzzed the guy wearing the pink jersey, but then he may come back and do something to the whole club where you know it, it causes a major accident. So we try to prevent issues and, and, and situations where it affects anybody or anybody in the club. So that's something as a club, we, we, we try to put in our guidelines while we ride as a, as a group. Um, things do happen, but in the past, we've always um, kept it in a very cool collective manner. And I think that's, you know, safety is very important to us. So we, we try to make sure that it, it we represent that as we go through these towns and ride all over the country. That's true. So this is Derica. So Fred, I want to I want to expand on that one a little bit more. I mean, I know Patrick has spoke on on the safety of black cyclists being on the road and and how things can go a little bit left when we're out there. You know, there's there's always going to be that guy, that driver that's just not happy to see not only a cyclist but a black cyclist. But to go to expand upon that a little further, there's like thousands and thousands upon more new riders that are on the road now. Like cycling is the new end thing is keeping people off the trains, keeping people off the public transportation. And there's very few bikes that are available to, to, to purchase in the country, let alone in New York. So the awareness of just cycle, more cyclists being on the road, their safety, like we're here. Like you cannot 
not see the thousands of uh, the influx of thousands of new riders that are in the park, that are on 9W, that are on West Side Highway, that are on the city street. The city bikes, the new docking stations are popping up in more neighborhoods than ever. So we're here. The safety is not just on the black cyclists, but it's on all cyclists across the board. You know, so they're going to have to just be mindful that, that there are more cyclists on the road, more bike paths are coming, more um, accommodations for cycling. Cyclists are going to be created in the city, and it's going to be more. It's going to be promoted a lot more to keep people be more fit, keep all the public transportation. So it's it's here, and I don't think the steam of cycling is going to dwindle down anytime soon. I hope at least. But again, as being ambassadors of the sport, it's our responsibility to you know to show the new riders like, listen, like, we see that your seat is too low. We see that you know you're not changing your gears when you're going up Harlem Hill in Central Park. Let me help you out. And to further that, I further that that thought. You know, I came up. I was talking with the board. You know, about different ideas about how can we educate all these new riders because they're going to be on the bridge. They're going to be on Nine W. You know, ultimately they're going to be on the West Side Highway. We can't have them not know. You know, the the the, the rules of the game, so to speak. You know, I'm on your left. You know, if you see someone is stopped with a flat tire, if you know if you're not going to stop, are you okay? Do you need anything? Just those common courtesies that builds our community. So I had an idea about doing a pop up pit stop. You know, let's set up a shop in Central Park, put up a sign at Major Taylor Iron Riders, and just stop random people coming up the hills and doing flats and new riders because they're so easily identifiable with T-shirts on, a pair of baggy tights, sneakers, you know, the clips, and just help them out. And that way it's it's getting our name out there as being the club that you can come to, that you want to ride with, that you want to get better to, you know, get a, become a better cyclist to ride with us, or just knowing that somebody on a, on a bike who's better than you is offering you an olive branch and say, listen, I see that you're struggling. Let me help you out. No, that's smart. I mean, I was I was thinking about this too with, you know, we've been covering this story of all these new riders going on bikes. And in New York City, I remember after Hurricane Sandy, when they shut the subway down, there were all of a sudden so many cyclists on the road and all the bridges were full of people on these rusty bikes and pedaling their way to work. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what's going to be Major Taylor Iron Rider's plan for global domination or just at the very least for like, you know, bringing more people into the club and reaching out and like getting some of these people to like, to enter the funnel that points them towards becoming a Patrick or a Natasha, uh, you know, a, a person who loves the group ride and to, and to go hard. I think a lot of organizations out there are looking at the bike boom right now and trying to think of how do we funnel and carry these people along in the sport. And I got to say, I mean, the Major Taylor Iron Riders program that you guys already have of, you know, inclusion and reaching out to people and bringing them in and your process for taking them on these rides. I, I, it's one of the it's still, I think, the best or one of the best models I see out there right now. So I don't know. Thank you very much. I think that the club is going to the club ranks are going to start swelling here. Or you're all going to have to go into overdrive, approaching people on 9W and inviting them on club rides. Yep. Well, Patrick, there already has been a swell. I mean, you know, us changing our attitude and opening up to other riders is, is very good. Is a very good thing. But you know, we as major teller iron riders of New York City, and I just want to keep it real. We are very approachable people. We're very pleasant people on the road. But we still are a performance team and performance club. We ride hard. We welcome people that want to try us on the road. It's it's just it makes this sport so pleasant just to be challenged and that's how Major Taylor was back. I mean the club was back twenty years ago when guys would just kill each other on the road, <laughs> and that's who we are. We're a great bunch of people. We like to joke and laugh, but if you wanna put some pedal to the metal, we're there for that too. Well, here so. that that's a good question then. So. And this is this has nothing to do with um, minorities in cycling. This is just a this is a, applicable to anyone. And, but it sounds like you guys have had a lot of success with this. Is like, what does the process look like then, from the newbie who has come to on a couple club rides and gotten dropped, but has decided, hey, you know, I kind of like this. What does that process look like from getting them to that from that level to like a Patrick Watt Crusher level over here who loves to race and loves to be aggressive. Like how does the club foster that pathway? How do you lead people along that pathway? And that's a jump ball for anyone to take. 
I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna defer to, to Derricka. This is Daryl speaking. I'm gonna defer to Derricka on the nurturing side, but you typically take them out and you drop them. You hope they get dropped further along every time. <laughs> oh man! One mile at a time, Fred. One mile at a time. So, Fred, this is Derricka. I will say um, that yes. We 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 are. I'll, I'll I'll agree with Patrick saying that we are definitely a high performance cycling club, and and if you're not already at a certain level to ride of riding, you know our style is not going to be for you. And I'm very meticulous and very very careful about not inviting on a normal season, not Corona season, to not invite new riders out except twice a year. I think in April or October because they if they're not at a riding level, they will not enjoy. It. They're going to get dropped. It'll be miserable. They'll hate it. Whatever. So, but this year has presented a new opportunity for us to to take new riders out because we've got a, a considerable an influx of new members that want to come out and ride. And and, and I, initially, I was thinking this is bananas. I don't want anyone being around each other because of Corona is, is such a you know a huge risk. But I've gotten quite a few emails, and I said, you know what? To hell with it. Let's just get these folks out and let them know how we ride in a softer environment, much softer, less intense uh, ride. And so I invite a couple of members to come out, and we'll take them out. All different levels. We're just doing a short group, no drop ride. Let's see how you guys do. And this year, it started to build a lot of momentum where they're coming out, they're getting a lot of guidance and tips from some of the seasoned riders on gearing and hill climbing, nutrition, hydration. And they have definitely taken, they have all taken a beating. Those that have come out, all of them have collectively taken a beating because they don't know 9W. And we all know state line will serve you up a good one just by itself. So. It's, it's been great to bring them out. They get a nice, soft introduction. But come next year, you know, the gloves are going to be off, and they'll get that, the, you know, the Daryl Tucker treatment, so to speak. So, you know. Hey, this, this is Natasha. I was going to maybe disagree with Derricka just a little bit about not inviting them out except for October because um, I know for me, I got I used to get dropped a lot. Uh, when I first joined, when was that, 2015, 2016 or so? I used to get dropped a lot. Um, I, I mean, I still do get dropped. But I think what helps is that there's um, cyclists in the club who will ride with you on the weekdays as well and not just wait for you to come out on the weekends because that's where you will um, absolutely fail. And so Chris Haskell, who's on this call with us, is one of those people um, who, you know, a few years, 2017, he would take me out. I call him my wind man because I just tuck in behind him and we just, like, shoot down 9W and I'm like flying, right? Um, or he'll set me up and I'll like swing around and next thing you know, I'm passing all the Rockwood dudes. Like that is the best thing ever. Um, but <laughs> so, or just even um, in Prospect Park in the morning, you know, just riding with Chris and other club members, they really set you up to be stronger. And, you know, Chris will drop me if he's like in the mood to drop me. But, you know, some days I'm able to hang on and it's like the best thing in the world. And that's how you get stronger so that when I come out on the weekends, you know, I can challenge Patrick a little bit. We can trash talk and Patrick can try to do whatever he's going to try to do. But then, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> you know, Daryl too. He's going to try and um, they're going to look back and be like, oh, Natasha's still here? Damn right. On the wheel. Let's do this. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's only April that people should come out with us, but you're definitely, if you train on the weekdays, if you find club members who will train with you in Prospect Park, Central Park, or who are up in Jersey and will train with you, it really does set them up to succeed during the season. So just just to just to uh, opine on that same topic a bit, um, and I think you asked, like, what is the thing that makes that process successful? Um, I think the, the single word is motivation, right? Because if, if you get taken out and you get dropped, um, if you're motivated, you come back. Right. You're motivated to go a little further. And yeah. that motivation is inspired by, you know, the nurturing of the club in, in any respect. Right. Someone gives you a tap or a little push up the hill. You know, the club's got your back. Someone hands you a bar or tells you how to manage your nutrition. You know, somebody's got your back. Somebody drops back to make sure you get back with the group. You know that they have your back. And those things motivate people to come back out. Right. I joined the club um, prior to Derricka becoming president. And, and it was a little bit of a different kind of mindset back then. Not that they weren't nurturing, but there was a there was a different approach to new riders. And I, I give Derricka a lot of credit 
for kind of softening the approach. Um, because I, when I joined the club, there was a group of people that joined the club with me that I don't see riding anymore. Right. Uh-huh. So I was one that came back. They did not come back. They might still be riding, but they didn't come back to the club. Interesting. And I was joking. And I always joke with Derica about like her nurturing, like the, the, the new members. Cause I didn't get that nurturing. <laughs> I, I get some slack with that. They're like, you know, some of the members are like, where's the fresh meat? We, we heard there's new meat out here. I'm just like, you guys back off. I need these folks to come back, you know, but, but they, I, they get the camaraderie and they get that, that support, but they definitely I think you have meat. to be motivated to do it though. Right. Yeah. To Natasha's yeah. point, like Chris, Chris took her out and motivated her during the week to kind of, you know, be consistent, stay on her bike, you know, learn the things she needed to learn, buy the equipment she needed to buy, yeah. whatever, whatever it was motivated her to make it to the weekend. I'm going to air quotes here. The weekend. The weekend. Well, so we have Chris on the line here. So Chris, give us a, um, if, with, you know, if Natasha was our test case of um, proper motivation and, and proper, um, you know, leading her along, like take us inside. How did you mentor her? What do you remember about mentoring her to get her where she uh, is today? Um, I know about mentoring, but, you know, my... I came from just a little background of myself. I came from from field sports. I was a rugby player, football player, soccer player. I was always a physical guy. And I, I, every sport I've ever played a contact sport. But the one thing about sports is in team team aspect. I always love the team aspect about anything that I do. So when I joined in cycling, I realized it's a very individual sport. Number one. And uh, by the way, I've been dropped many times. I actually had to walk up state line, riding up there in my big big ring, whatever. You know, long time ago. <laughs> that was uh, that was ugly. And so I vowed to never, because I'm competitive by nature, I'll never do that again. So I got a little better at, at going up back hill than I get off the bike. But as far as uh, Natasha, we ride in the park together as, as a group. You know, as black cyclists, we tend to like ride together sometimes. We ride anybody that wants to ride, but we ride with the black cyclists. And she, she came along I think, a year after I joined. And I was like, hey, Natasha, what's up? Let's go to ride in the park. So we started riding in the park and, you know, she kept on getting dropped a little bit and I had to go back, get her, blah, blah. Then Chris O'Neill, another friend of mine, another Chris, joined in and he was in Mercerland. You know, he was dropping me. So I was like, wait, I can't be dropped. I can go to Natasha, so I got to go. So one day after Natasha, we got to work on your gearing. So for about a solid month, we worked on her gearing of when to change the gear as you hit the hill. You don't do it too early. You do it, get a momentum as far as you can, then gear down, so forth. But when you're in a pace line, don't change your gears that often, right? If it's flat, you want to keep it the gears one and just try to stay on that wheel. If it gets a little bit harder, you change the gear. Just little tidbits, you know, um, over time. Uh, Tasha, she was very receptive. That's what, that's why it worked. She was very receptive. She wanted to get better. She, she was very competitive by nature herself. And she wanted to show the boy that he could ride with the boy. So. This is true. This is true. And so she decided, listen, it's not going to happen. So she definitely put the time in and effort in. Plus she enjoyed riding. And that's Fred. the bottom line, you know. But it's my time or your time. <laughs> anyway, so as far as uh, Natasha's concerned, I, you know, for me it was an easy thing. And not only her, there was a bunch of some other people on the line that we were also on our ride that we talked to about all that stuff. Natasha's the only one that one of the few people that stuck around and stayed and got on nine W and started rolling and and you know keeping up with Patrick. No, 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 not me. <laughs> oh, hi, Fred. This is Patrick. Um, real quick, don't, don't let Natasha fool you. She has her nickname on the road as Scalp Collector. <laughs> just just so you know. She walks around with a bag, and we have a, a colleague, a, a former racer, with who normally rides with Natasha named Kevin McNeil. She usually rides on his wheel collecting scalps. <laughs> well, and Natasha, I mean, you are a busy, busy professional, and yet you took on this sport, took on this activity that, you know, you got dropped, you committed yourself to getting better, you found mentors. Um, what do you remember? What was the point in your development as, as a cyclist where you were like, yeah, you know, like I'm hooked. I, I want to keep doing this. I want to get better at it. I get dropped. It's disappointing, but I, I, I want to do better. What do you remember about that? Um, I think it was actually relatively recently, I would say the last three or four years, um, because, you know, before then I would ride once in a while and then come out on the weekends. But more recently, as I got stronger, 
um, maybe because of my competitive nature and I started dropping people, um, it got more fun. And then if you want to train more, so, you know, you, you, you get stronger, you ride with, uh, I call them the Chris's because it's my Chris mentors. I ride with the Chris's, um, I hang on and then I come to 9W and I'm collecting scalps and like, that's fun. Nobody, I mean, you're going to get dropped. Nobody wants to get dropped every time. And then, you know, then you create a list. So Patrick was on the 2020 list. I'll put you on the 2021 list, Patrick. Don't you worry, Daryl. Your time is coming. There's a list to be had. Um, so you know, once you start scratching names off your list, it becomes um, a lot of fun. And then I think also, you know, again, the group is just the, the camaraderie is such that you know when you're doing well, when you're when you're not as strong, people support you. But then when you're doing well, well, people hype you up, and it's just you know everybody's just very supportive, and people are happy to see you and I'm just excited to ride with you and greet you and it's, it's very inclusive and so I just want you it makes you want to continue to do better um, and kind of continue that competitive that friendly competitiveness all while you're taking a beat down yeah oh well you're taking a beat down well there's <laughs> there's some things about cycling that will always be endemic to cycling and the beat down is one of them but again I think what you all have really tapped into is how to turn the beat down into something enjoyable for for new people. I mean, all of us, we've all been riding our bikes for a long time, so the, the beat down is part of the game. We know it. We like it. You know, we've developed a yeah. taste for it. But there's always that point in a cyclist development where it's sort of it can go one way or the other. And usually it's after a crash or a beatdown or whatever, and sort of convincing you know young new cyclists to keep going with it despite pain or humiliation or whatever. It's, that's the that's the trick. You're right. You're right. I mean, to, this is Derek. To go back what Daryl was saying, um, it's the motivation. If they want to get better and they they like the sport, they love the sport, they're going to keep coming back over and over again. Like it, it's hands down. It's either you're in with it or you're not. And it's it's so. Yeah, I love seeing when new riders come out and they, you know, they're beat, they're, you know, the eyes dilated, their their legs are on fire, they can't catch their breath, they're like, looks like they've been through, you know, hell and back. But you ask me, you know, are you okay? Did you enjoy the ride? I know it was difficult. They was like, this is exactly what I need. I can't wait to come back. And then they keep showing up. And next thing you know, a year later, you know, they're Daryl, they're Kevin McNeil, they're Tosh, they're Kevin, you know, they're extraordinary cycles that come a long way. And we get to watch their skills develop and grow. And it's great to be a part of that and help it and, you know, nurture that. That's because they come for the ride and they stay for the club. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Daryl. That's funny. You know, this is Chris, Fred. So one thing is like that, what's the underlying theme here? I think it's fun. Fun is the underlying theme. We, even though people are getting dropped, someone's circling back for them and talking them up. You know, when they get to the end of the ride, there's always people asking how you're doing, how you how you felt, blah blah blah. I, I think the fun factor is a big a big motivator to, to use Patrick's uh, I do Daryl's uh, 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 thought process. Um, it's it is. You know, no one wants to beat down and left on the road, and no one talks to you after that. You know, it's like all right, but but the fact that we come back and say, hey, listen, you know, next week we're gonna do this. We got 30, 40 miles to next week. We got 60 miles. Next week. We got 80 miles, 90, whatever it is. So we need to be there. You probably will make it. You probably get dropped, but someone will always be with you. I think that feeling of like, okay, I'm not alone in the wilderness, is uh, to echo Derek's term, uh, uh, um, you know, voice. That's what brings most people back and stay with it because it doesn't matter how competitive you are. If no one's around and you don't know where you are, you're lost in the way. You got to figure out. You go and you got to go get GPS on your phone and find your way back. That's never a good thing. You know what I'm saying? So, but there's always someone to listen. Here you go. I got you. I know the way. Jump on the wheel. We'll go back. Even if it's at 15, 20, 10 miles an hour, whatever. You know, bring them home. Always a good ride is when everybody gets home safe. That's true. So this is Derica. So, Fred, I want to, if you don't, I know, you know, I know what we're looking like on time, but I want to share with you uh, some feedback that I got from one of our new members. Great. Like maybe maybe two weeks ago, he sent an email because um, he definitely took a beating when he came out. He wasn't expecting it. And he has a distance, but he had zero intensity he took a beating but here's his response he says i wanted to follow up and say thank you for extending the invite to the ride with you guys on this past saturday i truly had a great time i am thankful for you guys tips as a collective group i learned something new from each of you and hopefully i can use those tools to grow as a rider 
I wanted to mention that I've been to been on two group rides as a fairly new rider, and the attention I received from you guys blows them out of the water. When looking for a group, I wanted to have a sense of belonging, the ability to dialogue, and or learn. With the other groups, I didn't learn anything. They were far far more superior riders than I am, so they left me alone to ride. Another point of another interesting point is the meaning behind the club name. Upon my own research, I learned that some of the cool history about Marshall Taylor, in which I had no clue about before. The 25th Infantry story was such was was also a part of history I had not learned about either. After the girl after the ride, you guys spoke to a woman about her experiences with other cycling clubs and the representation of African American people and how we are embraced by predominantly white clubs. I sat there and I listened and I can connect with you guys' vision. A club that is for our people promotes black cycling but not exclusive to African-American people. That hit right home for me. Because I'm a member of a, of a Phi, Beta, Phi, Beta, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, and one of our beliefs is inclusion rather than exclusion. With that said, I wanted to know, is there a vetting process that you can join? Are there a certain number of potential member rides? And he goes on to say, any information she could share would be helpful. I hope to meet you guys again soon. That's great. This is after his first, this is after his first ride, and he took... I oh, mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took a beating. <laughs> you know, when he got back to Strictly, his eyes were like big, like Homer Simpson. He was breathing heavy. But he said, this is exactly the push I need. And since then, he sent out, you know, messages saying, you know, I want to go ride again. When can I go back out with you guys again? Yep. So that makes it worth it. Patrick speaking. Another key thing about our club um, is, you know, we are uh, uh, a club where it's formed with B riders, A riders, A plus riders, but we also have a lot of dimensions to our club. We have a race team and we have another portion of the club that travels abroad where it's welcoming to anyone who wants to join us. So, you know, we, we just don't ride bikes up and down 9W all over New Jersey and New York. You know, we race if we want and we actually travel abroad and we, you know, we wear the major tailor name with, with um, respect and a lot of people you know, when they see us all over the country or all over New York City or the, or the state of, you know, the, the world, it's it's like, wow, you guys ride bikes like, you know, like you know what you're doing. So, you know, we have a club, we have a race team, and we have a traveling t- club. So it's, it's we try to give everyone options to, to do many things, not just ride your bikes, but ride your bikes competitively, ride your bikes all over the world. You know, it's... We, we we want to be more than just a club. We want to be bigger than than what we are. So just to say is we just, I guess we enjoy what we do. Well, Patrick, just, I, I echo that 1,000%. And uh, Fred, this is Chris. Um, you know, to go back to what Derrick says, once we get our young riders out, any riders that we get new riders, we have a moment of deep. When we get back to Strictly, we sit down and we talk to these new people who are coming. For example, uh, Setu, Derek's husband, is, one, is very, very good at that, talking to people about how, what they did on the ride, what was problematic, what they should have done better, will help. I mean, all the little tidbits along the way that that they didn't do, they're being now schooled on it in, a, in like a, a sit-down session, like a debrief. And you know how invaluable that is? I remember when I joined the club, this is before the club became sensible, right? <laughs> That's nice, fresh <laughs> Yeah, I literally, they, they Derek told me to get this right, and these boys disappeared. I literally watched them ride off into the sunset. I was in my big gear trying to keep up. It wasn't happening. You know what? I said, okay. I turned around, went home, and I came back the following week, and I learned how to ride. And the uh, van, who was it? I forgot who it was. Uh, Ron, a bunch of guys were older, right? Told me, and Mel, said, listen, you can't be in your big gear the whole time. You got to do this. You got to do that. Because I was an athlete that came from a, from a weightlifting background. I thought I was strong and big and powerful. But in riding, as you know, it's just different balls. So I had to learn all that. But this is when the older guy took me under the wing and kind of like debriefed and educated me on how to ride. I think that's so hugely important. I know we keep going over the same information, but you can't you can't discount how important that is because the the, the, the feeling of you want to hear is so huge. I, I go back to Maya Angelou's famous words. Most people will always forget what you tell them, what you say, but they never forget how you make them feel. I think at the club, we make most people that come here feel like they're in, we want you to be here inclusive. Come on, stay with us. And so, you know, there you go. How do you guys handle then, like, like problems or 
you know, situations where a person does something that's out of line. Um, you know, I mean, you guys have this great process for taking people along from, you know, not complete newbie, but like riding and passionate to now, you know, like Patrick said, you can travel, you can race. I mean, there's this, it just seems like you have this wide funnel that then funnels people up into the sport to a pretty high level. But I'm curious how you a handle tough conversations and don't turn people off that way. And then B, uh, how do you handle like, if you have to, you know, tell people, tell Natasha over there that she needs to stop swearing at all the drivers <laughs> out there because <laughs> causing too much, causing too much trouble. Jeff, you want me to have oh. that? You got it. Um, I'll give it a stab. I'm me and Chris are typically the two people that has it. Well, we have it. Um. You know, it, I have to say, since I've sat in this seat, there's been very few incidences that have come across my way where I've had to actually contact a member for misconduct. I'm happy to say that. Uh, but when they have happened, I've definitely reached out to the member to find out, you know, what happened, you know, to get their perspective. And it's always a situation where it could be them and someone else, you know, God forbid if it was them and another driver, you know, and... And I get the backstory on how they got to that point. You know, hearing how they got there is always important because their voice needs to be heard at that moment. So there's a reason for the outburst or the incident. I get both sides of the story. And nine out of ten times, it was a miscommunication, a misunderstanding. You know, I remind them that, you know, we're all in this club together, that no member should ever feel like they are uncomfortable when they come on a ride. Like, I have zero tolerance for that at all. Like, no member should ever feel like, I can't come out on this ride again because this person is going to be there or this incident happened. I make sure I try to get rid of that air and that uncomfortable immediately because everyone is welcome here. And they have to feel comfortable being here. Um, I remind them that they're a representative. They're an ambassador for the sport, but they're also a representative of Major Taylor Iron Rider. You know, like, when they're putting on that kit, you are representing our club and our name and our brand go beyond just you as an individual. So just like any other situation, whether it be a boss trying to remedy, you know, a disagreement between two employees or a mother trying to discipline, you know, two of her children, you have to get to the bottom of it and find some type of medium ground and some type of resolution so they can go on and not feel awkward when they're on a ride together. Like that is the worst situation because I want everyone, you came to this club for a reason. I want you to stay in this club because you want to be here. And it's my job to make sure that that happens. But I take that stuff very seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is Daryl. I think uh, there's also, I mean, you know, credit to Derica and Chris and the leadership of the club for creating a culture and a decorum of respect and inclusion, which breeds accountability. Because they, they will approach these members. Oftentimes, members don't have to approach members directly. But there is a standard, right? There is a standard and a level of behavior that is that is expected, you know, when you're out on a ride, right? If, you, if you're a member and you see another member doing something, you're probably going to pull them aside and tell them something. I myself have had to do that to team members um, when we're on club rides. Um, just, just a reminder or a gentle nudge. Hey, you, you know, we're wearing our kit. You're an ambassador of the club. Try not to go over the double yellow line. Try not to misguide the new riders. Try not to go through the intersections don't blow the lights like those are common things and some of those little tidbits can avoid conflict mm -hmm. um and i think that's just the culture of the club right it's just group accountability like holding yeah. each other accountable hey fred um this is chris and that's to echo daryl's uh uh point here that that is so true we have had and people here who are sitting here talking about and know the member i'm going to be talking about we've had members that have been a little bit over the top, like riding in a pace line and then picking out his phone and trying to take a, a picture of the, you know, in reverse angle above his head and not hold on to the handlebar going downhill. We have had that. <laughs> Crazy. And we've had to address that in, 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 in ways that we didn't want to, but we, we, we needed to. And that member has, is, is, you know, kind of like, you know, toe the line a little bit and, uh, they're not around as, as they usually are because we have to make a decision on, on how we, because you're not going to win all those conversations. Those conversations end up being, you know, really good and for the most part, but there are times when it, it doesn't and people have to make a decision on how they want to proceed. 
And as a club, we can't deviate. You know, and as much as it sounds repetitive, it, it is it is vital that we keep that respect going, and we keep uh, yeah. That, I like your I like that Daryl that, that look that hat is saying one hundred. Anyway, another story. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I talk funny, I know. <laughs> no, it's not good. Like I said, I think that you know last time we all linked up my questions for you were very much about um black lives matter movement and what it was you know how the club um has helped overcome um racism in the sport and i think this time so much of um you know so much of what's going on in the cycling scene now which is all these people getting into the sport and all these new people getting into the sport and i think that the game plan that you have created around that just the game plan you have created around your own club is just, it's something that I hope other listeners and other clubs out there and other cyclists across the country hear this. And, and you guys, you know, and you guys have basically provided a game plan for like, here, Hey, there's all these people who get all these people now getting into the sport. Here's a way to help bring them along as cyclists. And, and I really appreciate that guys. Yeah, that's, this is Derek. I think it's super important. You know, we see everyone in, in Prospect Park or Central Park and they're blazing a trail. They're going super fast. You know, you see that young kid who, you know, helmet's on backwards or whatever. You know, do the, do the kid a solid. Like, if you so extend some kindness to him with some guidance, it's like, wow, this this really impressive looking rider with this, you know, good looking kid and his fancy bike. He noticed me and he noticed that I needed help. I needed, like, you know, turn the helmet around or put air in your tires. Whatever that tiny bit is, that's going to buy them in a little bit further into wanting to become a better cyclist. It only takes one small nugget to get somebody to buy in. And the next thing you know, it, they're, they're going to pay it forward someplace else. So everyone who's an experienced or seasoned cyclist, like pay it forward. Somebody did it for you, pay it forward. Let's keep these folks on the road. I kind of said this in the beginning that it doesn't take a lot to be inclusive and to be welcoming. Um, and I was saying, I said how for our club, you know, we don't feel like it's a lot of work and that it's very basic. Um, and it reminded me of something that happened this morning when I was in the park. Um, I went to the park early this morning and I got there early. Chris obviously was late as usual. Um, and so when I rolled up, there were about 10 or 15 white cyclists, you know, waiting for their, their group to, to, to gather so that they could go on their ride. I rolled by them. I said, good morning. I rolled by them and I waited for Chris, the Chris's to arrive. Um, but to my surprise, like Patrick said, one of the club members actually uh, said hello and said, Oh, are you here to ride with us? And that has like never happened to me where I'm as a black woman standing at the top of Prospect Park and a group of 15 white men ask me if I'm there for their group ride. Um, and so, you know, I, I just kind of played it off or I didn't play it off. But I was like, Oh no, I'm waiting for some people and I probably couldn't keep up with you anyways. That's a lie. I would have. <laughs> Stolen their lunch money. I wasn't here for that today. <laughs> and then after that, he um, and then we waited. A, I waited a little bit longer. And then um, one of them actually like came, rolled over to me and was like talking to me. And so it was just like basic stuff like that. I would have if I had I didn't already have a ride plan. I would have totally ridden with them that morning if I was going to ride by myself because it's just simple as acknowledging me and then taking two minutes to say, "Hey, You're like who are you waiting for? Are you sure you don't want to ride with us?" Um, we're just doing an easy tempo ride. Um, and you know, just like they, it's not hard. And so I don't know if that group or if that person heard the podcast or they've been self-reflecting or if they're just like that naturally, but it really does go a long way. Um, and it really does make a difference. So, hey, Chris, this is Chris talking and we just quickly top, get into what Natasha was talking about. I think at this moment in, in the country's evolution into becoming a better place for everybody, I think the whole, the whole, um, pandemic has, has opened our eyes to a few things. A lot of things actually. One of them is systemic racism. I think the people who are out there, people with common sense, people with decency, no matter if you're white, black, purple, yellow, green, are really trying to make a difference. And what happened to you know, Natasha, which is probably the first I've ever heard the story, but no one ever stopped and asked, Hey, you want to, you know, that. So I think that play a huge part in right, they, they can actually approach a black woman that's sitting on top of the hill and say, hey, what do you want to do, blah, blah, That's never happened, right? So that's what one thing I want to talk about. The other thing I want to talk about is the small things matter. And Derrica talked about the uh, 
talking to people, making a simple thing as how you're doing, whatever it is. A quick story. We got a, I laughed about two weeks ago. We got the trickling, which is our where we stop and start our rides. And uh, we saw some these these guys roll in. They had no clip. They had none. They had sneakers. One guy had a clip on. One guy had this hat, whatever, the bandana backwards. These guys were riding hard. They were all black cyclists, right? So Derrica walks over and says, hey, blah, blah, what's, what's going on? And they talk to them a little bit about what they should be doing. And, and you, know, you know, when they walk, they rode into the parking lot all like gangbusters. Kind of school them on how to handle their business when they come to this parking lot. Because everybody comes here, we're all inclusive. Anyway, they were about to leave. And one guy, we're all leaving. And we got to the edge of the, about to go on the road. It's like, yo, where is your helmet? The guy left his helmet. And he, when he went back for it, he also found his phone, <laughs> whatever. But what I, the point is, the fact that we made him aware of all this, he reached out to us afterwards saying, hey, how can I become a member of this club? How can I be blah, blah, blah? Just those simple things. It's, just, it's not like we have the, the formula. It's just basically decency. Hey, what's going on? No matter where you're from, yeah, how are you riding? What you, you forget this, blah, blah, blah. Those things of that communication, just a simple little conversation, it makes a difference. Yeah, I'm pretty shameless with my approach with people. Like, hey, are you riding with us? Do you want to come with us? You look like you want to ride. I'm pr- I'm shameless about it because there's so many new riders out here. It it it's difficult. It's really hard for me to just not approach them and say, you know, I, you may not look like you can keep up with us, but let me give you an let me give you a tip about your size and your fit, your whatever, and that goes so far, so so far, so far, and it's great. Like any, anybody can do it, and like Chris said, it's not a magic formula. It's just extending a little bit of kindness and some and some and some help to people that need it because they want to keep them focused on the road. Well, it's the Major Taylor Iron Riders crew. Again, I really appreciate you making time. Uh, Patrick Morosier, Natasha Merle, Chris Haspel, Daryl Tucker, and Club President Derek Henry for joining me on the podcast again. Uh-huh.